I know what the right thing is to do right now, but I just can't do it. A good story takes us on a journey. It reminds us of where we've been and shows us where we could go. A good story makes us feel and inspires us to act. Welcome to the Good Story Podcast, where everyday stories that make you laugh, cry, or feel slightly uncomfortable will leave you inspired as Kirsten King tells true stories and teaches truth. Do you ever know what is exactly the right thing to do? And no matter how much you know it and how much you want to do it, you just can't. Or have you ever decided, I have to stop doing this bad thing, but you just can't? It's a struggle. Life can be a struggle. Paul struggled. Yep, he did. And yes, I do mean Paul from the New Testament. (laughs) Paul, who writing encouraging, inspiring, and sometimes challenging letters to his friends, co-workers, and others struggling in their faith. Paul, who wrote 13 books of scripture. Yeah, that Paul struggled. He struggled with sin. And he told the church in Rome all about it. Let me read for you Romans seven nineteen to 25. For I do not do the good that I want to do, but I practice the evil that I don't want to do. Now, if I do what I do not want, I'm no longer the one that does it, but it's the sin that lives in me. So I discovered this law. When I want to do what is good, evil is present with me. For in my inner self, I delight in God's law. But I see a different law in the parts of my body, waging war against the law of my mind and taking me prisoner to the law of sin in the parts of my body. Oh, what a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. So then with my mind, I myself am serving the law of God, but with my flesh, the, the law of sin. Don't you just feel for Paul here? Cannot you relate to all of it? Can you identify with this battle between the desire to serve God and the default setting of choosing sin that indwells us? What did Paul say? He started out saying that he's not doing the good he wants to. Now, if Paul were, say, a habitual liar, a crook, or a serial killer or something, we would say, that's obvious. But There's no evidence to this, in fact. In fact, we actually see Paul doing good. He preaches the gospel to the nations. He's not ashamed to do so. He stands up under persecution, and he doesn't back down. He preaches boldly. We see this. So what does he mean? And as we relate to him, how can we not do the sin that we keep repeating? Some of you have asked a follow-up question to last week's podcast, and I've said, wait for it, wait for next week. (laughs) Here's the question I've been asked. Whatever happened to that grandparent that was in the hospital that Kenny went to visit when he left the rest of you at the Seder service? Well, I am super sorry to say they passed away. Not that night, but not long after that. They passed away and a funeral was planned and held at a church in our town. It wasn't our home church, but it was actually just about a mile from our home. So, of course, we intended to attend. We'd never been in this church before. But we attended this funeral. The kids were in school. We decided to just leave them there, and just Kenny and I would go to it. 
We left work, giving us plenty of time to arrive and get settled before the family would process in. We chatted a bit with people in the foyer. We looked at pictures and then we lined up at the door. The place was very full. The sanctuary was packed. The ushers were looking for openings for people to squeeze in. The church had rows and rows and rows of pews that were full. The sliding curtain had already been opened in the back, revealing the preset rows of folding chairs, just in case, that were now also filled. We were next in line. We were standing at the doorway, and the usher motioned for us to stay put, and then he left. The people directly behind us were saying, go in. We told them we weren't allowed. Two new people would get in the back of the row and whisper, honk their voices our way, saying, hey, just go in. We looked back and smiled and nodded, acknowledging their pain and our supposed cluelessness, but pointed out that we weren't. We just kept mouthing, so sorry, it's full. They told us to wait. Eventually, the usher came back and said to all of us, we've just opened up some additional overflow seating. I'm going to walk you there. Follow me. And we did. We walked along the side of the church, into a side door, into the sanctuary, and eventually right into the choir loft, which was situated as you looked at the front of the sanctuary. It was off to the right and at an angle. We processed in slowly and single file, almost like we were going to be the special music. Kenny and I were the first people in, so we ended up in the front row on the end closest to the congregation. Speaking of the congregation, they looked at us as if we were the choir smiling expectantly. They figured out we weren't when we never sang. <laughs> you know how you feel when you're in a space and it feels a little bit of uncomfortable? I kind of felt like that. I wasn't sure where to look. It felt weird looking out at the people because I'd occasionally catch eyes with someone and I didn't know what to do. I didn't want to look down at the ground because that just felt sullen. So I tilted my head a bit to the right and stared at the altar in front of us. In front of that, there was a communion table, a huge, solid communion table. It was very large. It looked very heavy. I wondered if it was ever moved. I started thinking, I wonder if this church ever has things in the front of the church that don't require a communion table or not. I wonder if they do. Who moves that? That thing is so heavy. And then I started thinking about communion and wondered, I wonder how they serve communion at this church. I wonder if they line up and receive it from the front. I wonder if the elements are passed out to them. I imagine they lined up and went up to the front what with that huge communion table and all. But then I started wondering where they put the elements because on this large engraved table that seemed immovable, there was also a very large cup and a very large, large loaf of bread that was shellacked onto a plate. And it was shiny. It was super shiny. I wondered if those things were glued on or nailed on there. They were larger than no normal. The bread was shiny. Did I mention that? I really want to point that out. It was shinier than the rolls you get at like Texas Roadhouse that are brushed with butter. Do you know what those are like? Those are so good. But anyway, it was so shiny. Like a light could reflect in it and your eyes would hurt sort of shiny. Just trying to set this next thought up. Because the next thought I had, I am not proud of. I'm not certain if it was sacrilegious or just dumb. Kenny hadn't been tracking any of my internal dialogue about moving of the table and communion and all of that. And so he had no fair warning. I didn't bring him up to speed or anything. I just leaned over to him and said, 
Maybe they come up to the front and lick the bread for communion. Maybe that's why it's so shiny. I surprised myself by saying something so rude. He looked at me, kind of puzzled. I threw my eyes and jerked my head a little bit, the direction of the communion table, so he could see what I was talking about. He nodded his head like he knew what I was talking about, but then he looked me in the eyes with kind of a, huh, like, why are you saying that? I kind of wondered now, too. I had an aha moment and realized the absurdity or inappropriateness or sacrilegious nature of my comment and coupled that with the fact that I had said it at a funeral and added to that that I was sitting in front of everybody in the congregation and that I was in the choir loft saying such an inappropriate thing. At this point, I went to my go-to in an uncomfortable moment. My go-to is laughter. So I started to laugh. I didn't make noise but I shook the pew we sat on. I looked over to my left at Kenny. He was on the end, and I made him laugh, too. We kept laughing, and we couldn't stop. One of us would kind of stop, and then we'd feel the other person shake the pew, and the other one would go on. I saw a Kleenex box on the floor over to my right, and I leaned way over, and I grabbed it, and I thought, well, maybe this motion would stop me because it's different, but it didn't. I took some tissues out, hoping maybe I would start to cry. That would be more appropriate. At this point, new music started playing, and the family began to file in. First, the sweet spouse who had lost their loved one of so many years, followed by their children and their children and their children's children. I, I held it together for maybe three minutes. And then for some reason, I imagined them walking to the communion table, and I hung my head down in shame and also tried to stop laughing again. I wanted to think of sad things, but I could not think of one. I blew my nose to try to trick my body into doing something else. Instead, I made a noise that sounded part horn, sneeze, and, and deep sob. Like I blew it and I was just kind of like, <laughs> and that was also funny because everything is funny when everything isn't. You know that feeling? I alternated the rest of the service between deep but silent laughter, blowing my nose for no reason, and counting. I felt like counting would help. I didn't look over at our friends. I was afraid they would see the non-grief in my eyes, and I was so trying to get myself together, and I really did feel badly. I really did want to enter in, and I couldn't. When the organ played at the end, I felt physical relief. The woman to my right, who up until this very second I didn't even look at, made a point to look at me and shook her head. I said, I'm so sorry. Absolutely nothing was funny. <laughs> and I started to laugh again. And Kenny laughed at this point again, too. I was like, first of all, what I said originally wasn't even funny. I just spent a long time thinking about communion and came up with that just the wrong thought at just the wrong time. We left the sanctuary. We went downstairs and offered condolences to the family. A woman stopped me on the stairs and hugged me. She said that she saw me sobbing in the choir loft and felt so badly for me. I thanked her for her thoughtfulness. I told Kenny, I don't think I can go down there with all those strangers thinking the absolute opposite thing about me. We found a back way. We saw our friends. We gave hugs to other family members that we knew, and then we left. I don't think Paul meant any of this kind of thing when he wrote, do not do the good that I want to do, but I practice the evil I do not want to do. But I think the concept's the same. When you're caught up in something and you want it to stop, we say things like, this is the last time, or I'll never, or 
Instead, I'll, or whatever hook we have fresh in our minds, we say these things, maybe on December 31st when a new year is upon us, but then we have trouble following through. We sometimes intend or desire to do one thing, but we end up doing something else. Why is that? It's because our sinful nature is alive and well. So what should we do about it? Are we slaves to sin? Absolutely not. We have freedom in Christ. Paul wrote about that too. In fact, it was just one chapter back in Romans 6 where he wrote, In the same way, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. And in verse 14, For sin shall no longer be your master, because you're not under the law, but under grace. What then? Shall we sin because we're not under the law, but under grace? By no means. Don't you know that when you offer yourselves to someone as obedient slaves, you are slaves as the one you obey? Whether you are slaves to sin, which leads to death, or to obedience, which leads to righteousness. But thanks be to God that though you used to be slaves to sin, you have come to obey from your heart the pattern of teaching that has now claimed your allegiance. You have been set free from sin and have become slaves to righteousness. Do you hear that? We've been set free from sin. Now we can walk in freedom. How? How do we do it? We rely on the power of the Holy Spirit. He enables us and empowers us to do the right thing. It isn't us mustering up enough of this or that. It's the Holy Spirit at work within us. What else do we do? We don't put ourselves in the same situation over and over again. Walk wisely. Not long after our friend's grandparent died, their other grandparent died as well. Broken heart. So sad, yet beautifully precious in a way, too. We planned on attending that funeral again. So I told Kenny we were going to be sure we did not get seated in the same place. So I told him, I'm going to get there early. What's it saying? Fool me once, shame on you. Fool me twice, shame on me. Something like that which is, I think, of barely applies here. But at any rate, I told Kenny I was going to get there early enough to get us seats, and he could join me when he was able. And I did. The main sanctuary was filling up, and I knew Kenny was running a little late, and I thought it would be hard to spot me there. So instead, I sat in the front row of the back overflow seating. You know, the preset chairs behind the curtain? I mean, I waited until the curtain was pulled back, and the seats were offered. <laughs> I wasn't like hiding in the front row for the big reveal. But when the curtain was pulled, I was letting the usher set a pick for me. And I scooted right behind him and placed myself front and center in the back. I thought, Kenny can see me here when he comes in and could walk right to a seat without making another person move. All the chairs around me filled, except for the one next to me that I kept my purse on, saving for Kenny. I had to turn people away. Oh, I'm so sorry. I'm saving this for my husband. He's running a little late said it over and over again, and then a couple came to the door with walkers, two of them, each of them. They pushed their walkers ahead ever so slowly and turned their heads about looking for a seat. I started looking at the floor. I noticed the yellow tennis balls at the bottom of their walkers. I saw them inch forward and again, another inch forward and another, and I thought, these tennis balls might be coming my way. And I looked up, and the sweetest gentleman said, Excuse me, is this seat taken? I was wondering if I could offer it to my wife. Are you kidding me? I moved my purse and said, Well, my husband is coming, but I'm not sure where he is. Uh, why don't the two of you sit here? And I got up. 
He was so grateful. Oh, thank you. Thank you so much. Here, here, sweetheart, this young lady said we could have her seats. I smiled at them both, and I started looking for a new place. The usher came right over to me and said, That was sure nice of you. I have just the place for you and your husband. Follow me. I saw Kenny, waved him over, and we started walking down the hall through the side door. And yep, you guessed it, right to the exact same place we had been weeks earlier. Kenny looks at me and whispers, seriously? Why are we sitting here? Did you try to do this? I looked at him and I said, it's a really long story. I'll tell you later. And right now it's going to take absolutely every ounce of energy I have not to laugh. So I'm going to get in a zone and I will talk to you after this is over. We ended up laughing a lot, but after the funeral this time. Granted, I'm super aware that this illustration can't be exactly superimposed upon this text and make great sense. I mean, I ended up in the choir loft through no fault of my own. But actually, that sometimes happens in our lives as well, doesn't it? We find ourselves in repeat places where we've sinned before, but it doesn't mean we need to have a repeat performance. Our sinful nature and sinful desires are real. Something real happened when that fruit slid down those two first people and we're all affected by it. But something more powerful happened at the cross and we no longer need to yield to temptation. We no longer need to feel defeated in our struggles. Instead, through the power of the Holy Spirit, through the application of the word, through accountability of other believers, through keeping ourselves from going to repeat places where we repeat sin, we can walk through life as more than conquerors through him who loved us. What a glorious thought. And even better, someday there will be a day when our faith will be sight and sin and sorrows will be no more and our struggle with sin will be over. Someday. But until that day, we can be grateful that we can seek out God's directives and walk about in freedom. Praying for one another as we walk side by side and together we will bring glory to God.